This is the Chamber Chat Podcast, the show dedicated to chamber professionals to spark ideas and to get actionable tips and strategies to better serve your members and community. And now your host, he recently took his dad to shoot machine guns. He's my dad, Brandon Byrne. Hello, Chamber Champions. Welcome to Chamber Chat Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Burton, and it's my goal to introduce you to people and ideas to better help you serve your chamber members and your community. Our title sponsor is Holman Brothers Membership Sales Solutions. Let's hear from Chris Johnson, President and CEO of the Association of Washington Business in Washington State, to learn how Holman Brothers has provided value for him. Well, Doug and Bill at the Holman Brothers have been a key ally in growth. Uh, for my professional career working at three different chambers, a local chamber, a regional chamber, and now a statewide chamber. And they've been the ideal solution, whether it's a comprehensive training program, whether it's working on individual sales growth, quarterly check-ins with the team, the ability to grow members has meaning more assets for the organization, more assets means we can do more things to serve our members. They've really been the perfect solution for us, a trusted resource partner and a growth partner for us all along the way. So hats off to Doug and Bill for their great success. They'll be a great partner for you as they are for us. You can learn more about Holman Brothers Membership Sales Solutions by visiting holmanbros.com. You're joining us for another special episode in our 2022 ACCE Chamber of the Year finalist series. And our guest for this episode is Charlie Clark, Vice President of Communications at the Hilton Head Island Bluffton Chamber in South Carolina. Charlie is a proud IOM graduate and has been in the chamber industry for over two decades. She serves as Vice President of Communications for the Hilton Head Island Bluffton Chamber, which is also a three-time winner of ACCE's Chamber of the Year Award. As a combined Chamber and Visitors Bureau, she oversees all communications for the organization, as well as leading the charge for public relation efforts for the Hilton Head Island destination, which hosts over 3 million visitors annually. During her tenure, she has helped garner national broadcast coverage for the destination with the Today Show, Food Network, CNN, Good Morning America, and many others. She's also earned coverage from a variety of other media outlets, including New York Times, USA Today, Travel and Leisure, and the Wall Street Journal, and more. The Chamber is a proud winner of numerous awards for communications excellence from ACCE, including the coveted Grand Award, in addition to awards honoring the Chamber's efforts from the Southeast Tourism Society, HSMAI Adrian Awards, and national awards for broadcast excellence. She's a frequent public speaker, committed and involved in her community, having served on the boards of a number of organizations. She and her husband, Tom, are the proud parents of two sons, Brennan and Cameron, Charlie, I am excited to have you with me today on Chamber Chat Podcast. Why don't you take a moment to say hello to all the Chamber Champions listening and share something interesting about yourself so we can get to know you better. I'm so glad to be here, Brandon. As we were sort of talking about earlier before the uh, before the podcast started, I love podcasts. I listen to yours as well as many others, and it's just such a great resource for information, especially when you're on the go. So um, gosh, something interesting about myself. I think most people are often surprised to know that I actually moved to Hilton Head Island from Wyoming of all places. Wyoming after one too many good vacations. You know, I thought I was so original 
uh, in moving to Hilton Head, just chucking it all and moving to this destination and found out that the island was full of people who had done the exact same thing. <laughs> you know, most people move for a job or they move for family. I literally moved just based on the sheer beauty of this place. And, and my husband and I both said, you know, we will, we will figure it out when we get there. And sure enough, the uh, communications position popped open for the chamber. And I said, I think that's what I'd love to do. And I've been doing it ever since. And that was over 20 years ago. Yeah. Talk about a leap of faith and nothing against Wyoming. There's beauty there. It's just a different kind of beauty compared to the beach and, you know, everything else that you guys have. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little snowier. The last year I was there, I, it snowed on June 27th. Oh my goodness. I said, you know, I think it's time to go. So, uh, yeah, the only thing, yeah. The only cold is the ice in your drinks here, as they like to say. So it's great to be living on the Island. It's wonderful. That's great. Well, tell us a little bit about the Hilton Head Island Bluffton Chamber, just to give us some idea and perspective as to scope of work, the size of your chamber, staff, budget, things like that, just so we have an idea as we go into our discussion. You know, I think people are often surprised that the Hilton Head Island Bluffton Chamber is as large as it is. We are almost 1,400 members at this point. We have a staff of about 25, a budget of about 8 million. Uh, we've been we've been at it for, gosh, almost 60 years. So very entrenched in the community. And as you know, as you mentioned earlier, that we have over 3 million visitors a year. So our chamber, from a scope of work perspective, is, is a, a chamber in the traditional B2B sense and also combined with our visitor and convention bureau. Because when your economy is so heavily based on, on tourism, it is here. And for the state of South Carolina as a whole, uh, it just makes great sense to combine those two organizations. Absolutely. And you guys have a lot of great chambers there in South Carolina as well. So as far as a a destination, you guys are uh, supporting each other very well from what I can see. Yeah, the Carolinas do have very strong chambers, very strong, very connected. Uh, It's it's a great place to do business and, and chambers really do work well together here. Absolutely. So with these Chamber of the Year finalist interviews, what I like to do is focus on the the two programs that you guys submitted on your Chamber of the Year application. And what I like to do is just go at it from a high level at first, just what the two programs are. And then we can dive into a little bit more detail on each of them as soon as we get back from this quick break. Are you looking for a year-round affordable and timely shop local campaign for your Chamber or CVB? Look no further. Build a custom Eat Shop Play mobile app with App My Community by visiting appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat. App My Community mobile apps are not just simple membership directory listings. They provide many more capabilities to engage with your community. Provide your residents with a robust events calendar. Partner with a local fair, festival, or farmer's market to provide a schedule, map, and other resources to promote the event. Run a small business Saturday campaign any time of the year using built-in scavenger hunts. Allow your membership to communicate directly to their customers via push notifications. Your App My Community mobile app will be a unique member benefit, allow you to generate non-dues revenue with sponsorship opportunities, and best of all, provide a valuable resource to your community. Please visit appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat now to receive 10% off your first year of an App My Community mobile app. 
Chamber Nation hears from its customers that they help make it fun again to present the value of membership. That's because so much is provided to help each member promote their business, and with monthly ROI reports from Chamber Nation, they know their membership is already working to help them succeed. There are three words in Chamber of Commerce, and Chamber Nation knows that their customers take care of the Chamber, but Chamber Nation takes care of the commerce. This way, both teams working side-by-side deliver a whole lot more in membership value. With Chamber Nation, not only will you have a membership management system, but also a membership development system all in one terrific package. So, save money and be impressed by visiting richardscalendar.com to set up a demo with their CEO or learn more at chambernation.com. Chamber leaders know firsthand how unexpected disturbances in the business environment have become the norm. Even the most experienced membership reps need to continually evolve to overcome these disruptions and create new opportunities. Holman Brothers Next Level Coaching supplies the year-round sales coaching and mentoring your membership rep needs to navigate change and continue driving revenue for your chamber. Visit holmanbros.com slash next level to learn more and request a free trial of next level coaching. All right, Charlie, we're back. Um, if you would share with us, what, what are the two programs that you guys submitted on your chamber of the year application? You know, it's always interesting when you decide what programs to submit for your synopsis. I mean, it's always you know, wondering what this year it, it honestly, it wasn't as difficult based on the, you know, the couple of years we're all coming through yeah. uh, with COVID two things we did. One was um, called the path forward readiness plan. Uh, it fell under the sort of the heading of cataclysmic leadership, uh, just a comprehensive strategy for reopening our community post COVID. You know, when you have a community that is so heavily based on tourism, wow, what a, what a game changer, COVID was and how do we, how do we reopen safely? How do we do that? Um, So what we did is we, we formed immediately, we had 150 people on nine different task forces, everything from, you know, churches and childcare to hoteliers, small business, retail, um, service industry, you name it. We had it on those task forces. And as we were all just sort of starting to reopen and try and get back to business, which South Carolina did very quickly, by the way, but it's just how do we how do we develop these industry specific protocols that ensure the safety of our residents, our workforce, and our visitors? How do we make sure we're all comfortable with that? So, um, in a short amount of time, we convened those task forces, uh, and and they came up with those safety protocols. Those were then reviewed by a steering committee, and it just it just turned out to be such a great way to launch people back into business safely and it worked really well. And the other, uh, the other synopsis that we entered was a program near and dear to my heart that we did called um, Help for Hope. We partnered with, uh, again, that word partnership comes through, I'm sure for a lot of uh, award entries. Help for Hope was uh, something we did in partnership with the Watterson Family Foundation and the Community Foundation of the Low Country. If you remember back when, when COVID really hit, it was scary. It was a scary time when you have a workforce, as many of ours here are and elsewhere as well, going paycheck to paycheck, where your next meal was coming from was a reality. It was an actual reality here for workers, not just in 
F&B and restaurants, but in a variety of different uh, when hoteliers are closing down, those types of things. So we developed this plan that actually uh, you were given like your family, a community uh, card for Help for Hope. You could take that card to a restaurant. We had over 50 participating restaurants. Hand it over. They'd give you a meal for four. And then the restaurant in turn would take that to the community foundation of the Lowcountry for reimbursement. So restaurants were supported. People were getting fed. And, you know, there was also a contingent of, of people who wanted to give. You know, how do I help? If you remember that everybody wanted to dive in and do something, this was a very tangible way. We had um, we had donations from over 37 states Wow, uh, coming in, in addition to corporate and people within our own community. People have a love affair with Hilton Head Island. And that really showed they had their favorite restaurants. and They wanted to make sure that they felt supported. So those two programs were the ones we launched for Synopsis and um, just just really, really great uh, for our community and a great game changer for all. Yeah. So let's let's start with that one with Help for Hope to just dive in a bit deeper. Um, how did it get started? Like who who approached to with the foundations that you partnered with? Um how long did it take to develop the plan to actually work and then to you know broadcast that out to the community, to those people that needed it to, to either donate or to be a recipient of? Well, I don't know about you, but it seemed like during, during the pandemic, things happened slowly and they also happened at light speed. Yeah. You know, things just started moving. Just some conversations that got it started, really. And we looked around at our workforce and thought, you know, we knew we'd already on the on the kind of the bandwagon with the path forward and just really putting together those programs. But this was an issue. Hunger became an issue. We had um, some of our self-help, our Bluffton self-help and, and soup kitchens coming to us and letting us know that, oh, my gosh, we're inundated. So we thought, how can we do this for this workforce who is really, quite frankly, not used to utilizing those resources? So that's how Help for Hope began. And um, originally, I remember when we first started this, it was somebody said, well, what paperwork are we going to have people fill out for their, you know, to, for their meal? We said, there's no paperwork. We're not, we're not doing any paperwork. Uh, people who, who come, we we're just going to give that handout and that meal. And then the other thing was, is, is how do you distribute it, right? How do you get these community cards into the hands of families who needed them? We knew that 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 wasn't going to happen in the traditional way. We knew that some of those workers who had never been to a soup kitchen or Bluffton self-help weren't about to start now. So with this partnership, we launched pop-ups. We launched pop-ups in parking lots. And if you remember early days of the, the pandemic as well, there was that no contact, that type of thing. So we launched drive-through pop-ups. And I'll never forget, we launched our first one in a restaurant parking lot, one of our participating restaurants. Mm-hmm. Had no idea, put it out through social media, no idea how it was going to go or if anyone was going to show up. And the lines just started forming, snaking Um, around the parking lot. And we ended up having to grow from larger and larger and larger venues because the word spread and the demand was that great. Um, We gave out over 19,000 meals, 19,000 meals distributed and over, gosh, almost a quarter of a million dollars donated. Uh, one of our restaurants who was participating in this let us know that, you know, during during the, the Help for Hope days, on the days those cards were distributed, he would see a 20 to 30 percent bump in his uh, in his restaurant traffic, which for his restaurant was was great, too. You know, keeping those revenues and keeping people employed and and getting paid. So it made a big, big difference. By the end, I knew we had something going when the second pop up we did 
we had the sheriff's department come and say, we've got to help you manage traffic because there's too much traffic out onto highway 278. So it was just a great, you know, feel good. I think for everybody involved, the folks who were in it, it was a happy, you know, help for hope. We had t-shirts that said hope dealer, you know, these, these pop-ups. <laughs> like yeah. These pop-ups were very uplifting. You know, we were a little worried of like, Oh, is this going to be a downer? But we had music going smiles all around. And it just was, I mean, it just, people were so grateful. Restaurants were grateful. Those receiving the cards were grateful. And it was just quite frankly, one of the most rewarding things that, that we've had the opportunity to be a part of. Yeah. And I like how you guys remove the hurdle of having the paperwork to fill out and, you know, applying for a program and all that. Um, how did you identify who to target as people that may be in need for this? And then did it just spread word of mouth or how did you get the word out? You know, social media, social media, social media, that became the conduit of information. We had a Help for Hope website. We had Help for Hope social media. Um, we had the restaurants themselves. We had businesses who were pushing out for their employees. Hey, if you need this, take advantage of this. This is a great thing. So really, really spread that way. Um, could also could kind of gauge as things were happening. Maybe there were restaurants who... Um, weren't seeing as much traffic. And we were using social media to say, here's the list of restaurants participating. Don't forget about this one or that one. They're doing this meal or that meal. So it um, became really through word of mouth and social media. And as we knew it continued to grow to the point where our last um, Help for Hope drive-through pop-up was in a university parking lot. Wow. That gives you any idea of the size that was needed. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine, because just thinking back in those early days of the pandemic where there was so much uncertainty going on. We didn't know how long this was going to last. We didn't know what businesses would survive. We didn't know if your own job would be around, you know, a month or two from then. So being able to be to keep money set aside as, you know, the storms keep coming or, you know, however, just to be prepared, it's nice to be able to have some kind of relief like this, even just to go out and enjoy a meal. And I can anticipate even especially in the Hilton Head area where you've got a lot of hospitality and tourism-based businesses that there was probably even a higher level of uncertainty with a lot of people where this became a, a great program of, of rescue. Some we all forget that too. We forget the early days of the pandemic. You know, we all seem so settled in now in terms of knowing what's what and what's going on, but those early days were scary. Yeah, they, they really were. were for a lot of people. So we just sort of, as, as many communities do, you just bootstrap, you, you roll up your sleeves, you partner with your community and, and you make things happen. And that's what I think chambers, the role of a chamber um, can be so, so beneficial when, uh, when times of crisis are around. Yeah. And it could have been easy just to sit back and say, well, maybe this will be over in a week or two, you know, but you guys didn't, you got together, you rolled up your sleeves and you acted. And then uh, maybe kind of transitioning into the other program to the path forward readiness. Um, I, 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 the, the term has been overused, but the, these were unprecedented times, right? So right. to be able to navigate your way through, you know, something that we've never seen before. Um, you talked about 150 people, nine different task force. How did that develop? How did it evolve? What what kind of outcomes did you see as you rolled that out in the community? You know, it came about quickly. I think a lot of us were in a different time frame when it came to putting programming together uh, during this time. And uh, putting, we, we just, again, we had 
we did a thing also that kind of leads into this, Brandon, which was we launched a thing called Power Hour. Power Hour was a once a week call where people could kind of get unfiltered information about everything from the latest COVID news to the community to what was happening. And, you know, we weren't finding that in the media a lot, you know, this kind of unfiltered, there were those headlines that were built for click-throughs, not for information. And it was a real need. So once we developed that, um, we saw that people, and I think one guest in particular, we had Peter Greenberg on who was CBS news. He's um, does all their travel coverage nationally. And he said to us on this call, he said, People who are coming to your destination, they know you've got great beaches. They know you're a beautiful place. They want to know they're safe. They want to know they can travel somewhere where they're going to be safe. And again, the residents as well, they wanted to know, we've coexisted with visitors since the 50s. They wanted to know that this was going to be safe for them as well. And the workforce, those people who were working with our guests, they needed to know. So when you convene those task forces, and every industry is different, what's going to work for childcare isn't going to work for a restaurant. So we brought together those task forces that were also made up of not only industry peeps themselves, but also residents in the community. We wanted everybody to be involved and have a voice in what safe looked like in those early days of the pandemic. And they did it. They came up with those safety protocols by industry. We had a steering committee that was overseen by medical professionals and by the hospital CEOs in our community to, to sort of say, yep, this is this passes muster, this works. And then we immediately put it into action. Um, we had businesses involved. We had hundreds of businesses do what we call take the pledge. Um, they signed a pledge that said, here are the safety protocols I adhere to. Those protocols were available on our website in English and Spanish, and you were giving a seal to put on your door. Now, I know that was actually adopted by many other communities, We saw that happen. We were sort of early in that game. Uh, The state of Florida, through Vacation Rental Management Association, they adopted that for their locations in California and in Florida. So it kind of took off. Other communities as well um, were interested in in doing that. And it really did garner um, its fair share of, of media as well. Over 126 media outlets picked it up. And I think one of the, the best quotes we had was just that, you know, this is a community that's doing it safely. This is a community that knows what they're doing. And that came out of Red Book Magazine, Yahoo. So it really did. It was great to see people coming. And then people actually asking, going into businesses, going, where's your seal? Where's your seal? I'm not coming in without that. So that was a catalyst too. Yeah. So as things evolved and uh, coming through recovery and so forth, did you guys have to go back and readdress some of those, you know, um, I'm looking, struggling for the right word, but the the plan of action, the safety protocols, and everything. Uh, how often were you guys addressing that? We could convene those task forces really quickly, and as you know, we all became Zoomers, right? That was right. a whole different ballgame. So we could, can, we still, we still convene those task forces to this day um, when it comes to issues affecting their industry. So. Um, we also immediately set up resources, uh, Zoom rooms, different things that we had here at the Chamber Studio uh, that could help in that process. But yeah, it was it was a, honestly a process that we evolved over time. It wasn't unusual at all for us to reconvene, just to ask questions and to garner feedback. What's working for you? What's not working for you? In times, we put two fa- task forces together so they could speak to each other, so they could talk and uh, get the needs and and issues from, from, for example, what does 
what does the hotel industry need from childcare? What is how those two work together? So it was a, a rewarding, rewarding part of what we do. I think, like I said, I, I think it was the um, uh, Red Book magazine said Hilton Head Island paves the path forward for fun and safe family travel and vacations. Boy, does nice. that speak. We were we were concerned. Are people even going to come this summer? And turns out 2020 occupancy for us was actually down only about 2.9% wow. over the prior pretty, year. Our July. Our July of that year was up 17% over the prior year because the word was out. And this was obviously wide open space. It's a safe place to be. Families were coming and they were remotely working. They were remotely schooling and they felt safe doing that. Wow. That's great. So it sounds like the task forces are still operating. Uh, the program's still going for, I was, that was going to be my next question. If it's still operating or if you're able to sunset some of these task forces, or maybe hibernate them for a little bit as things get better. But yeah. how's that landscape looking now? Definitely, definitely. You know, we, as we all did, we evolved as, as the pandemic evolved and we're able to sunset, implement whatever we needed to do on that front. So we're just really you know, proud of our business community for stepping up to the plate and doing it very quickly. Um, I think speed was of the essence uh, because there were so many unknowns as COVID was making its way through our country. And I think that really did help a lot as well. Right. So I'd like to ask how you guys at the Hilton Head Bluffton Chamber, how do you view the role of your chamber in the community? You know, I think, I think in any community, and especially now, I think chambers, they're really the ones that are getting it done. The ones sort of doing the impossible, what others say is impossible Chambers often say, no, I think we can handle that. I think we can get that done. We do it in partnership. Um, and I think chambers are really often put forth those initiatives and programs. They're sort of game changers. Uh, for us, I know whether that's attracting Southwest Airlines to start flying out of our area. What you know, Big, hairy, audacious goals are usually things that chambers don't shy away from. And I think our role became even more pronounced as chambers as we've gone through the last two years. Yeah, I like that response. That's great. I love that chambers are the ones that get it done. Yeah. <laughs> that should be a slogan on every chamber of commerce. Yeah, as I say, the other slogan, you know, never waste a good crisis. Um, I think uh, leadership always rises to the top. And I think that was definitely true for a lot of chambers across this country during the past few years uh, to take that leadership role was an important one for chambers. That's right. So I like looking at the all the Chamber of the Year finalists as those kind of setting a benchmark in the Chamber world as far as uh, you know areas of work and the example you're setting. If you were to uh, provide maybe a tip or an action item for for those listening who would be interested in taking their Chamber up to the next level, what might you suggest? Well, you know, I think first and foremost is to um, utilize all the tools in your toolbox. I mean, utilize the incredible resources we all have with ACCE and with the U.S. Chamber. You know, the uh, I mentioned earlier about the power hour. We just pick up the phone and call and, and say, Curtis Dubay, chief economist for the U.S. Chamber, could you be on our power hour and explain inflation? Yes, yeah. I can. I mean, that's 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 great. And then it's a two-way street. You can ask questions. I mean, it's not every day you get to ask questions from a chief economist or 
um, epidemiologist with DHEC during the height of it. So I think utilizing those resources, whether it be web-based resources, uh, it's just, it's all out there and it's really, really helpful. I'd also say um, in terms of, you know, chambers going to the next level is know your voice. I really encourage, you know, we encourage chambers to know the, the power behind what we represent as chambers. You know, we, we always like to talk in our number of businesses or a number of members, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's easy to forget there, there are jobs and faces behind those businesses. Each business represents the livelihoods of so many people. And so I think to just know your voice, to know that what a critical role that chambers play in the community and not be afraid you know, to shy away from that, that, that we are the ones who, who make change in our communities. And I think it's hard to sometimes, I think, for chambers to take that 40,000 foot view that often it's easy, as I like to call it, to major in the minors. You know, chambers are often held responsible for everything. <laughs> and, you know, just, you know, we, we get it done. And, and so get often, credit for very little quite right, often. <laughs> right. So sometimes I think it's hard to, to look at your community from that 40,000 foot view and not major in the minors because it's easy to get get pecked by those. And, and in addition to, you know, our mission statement, which every chamber has, we have a set of guiding principles and, and we believe in only taking on endeavors that that we can do better than others in the community, that we have a voice to pull people together to, to convene the community. So I think that's an important aspect of, of being an excellent chamber as well. I love that. I love that response. So I like asking everybody who I have on the show about the future of chambers. And so how do you see the future of chambers and their purpose going forward? You know, I think chambers are now more relevant than ever. I think the last two years have been a proving ground for chambers and boy, did we all step up to the plate. Um, we actually gained members during, during the pandemic at a time when economic uncertainty was tough for a lot of businesses based on our response and our ability to connect the community and offer information that was relevant. So I think the future of chambers is bright. Um, I think we've become more prominent in terms of our community leadership uh, I think we are viewed in our communities as, as, as I said, conveners, connectors of people in a world that while we seem to be more connected than ever, we're really more disconnected than ever in mm-hmm. so many ways. And I think chambers do a great job of, um, of really having a, a coalescent community that you can actually, you know, take action in, make change in your community on those big scary goals that often bring, you're always going to bring, you know, good and bad. You know, your goal is headed in the right direction when it comes to whether it's a, you know, infrastructure problem or a piece of legislation, which we all handle. You know, you're doing something right if if you have a little bit of a balance of people going yay and nay on that front. Big, big projects always have that. So I think the future of chambers going forward, we feel it's a, a, a really great time to be a chamber and a great time to make a difference. Yeah, I think a lot of chambers almost were surprised that they gained members during the pandemic because you figure things are shut down, businesses are struggling, but they, you know, forget to remember that uh, <laughs> that there's a need, you know, when there's that stress going on with these businesses, there's a need. And so that bump in membership and then whatever, you know, recession we have that's being talked about coming up on the the brink of us. Um I think there's going to be more businesses that are turning to their chamber to 
to figure out how do I navigate through this now? So we saw, we saw, you know, we, we, we saw in our surveys, everybody, you know, our membership surveys, which we do each year, we saw some changes, which was interesting to see as the pandemic went on. That just speaks to, I think, what's happening and going to happen in the future of chambers. Um, as you mentioned, with uh, a potential recession and what's happening economically, is that we saw a really rise to the top, uh, the benefit for chambers for for us being the ones to convey relevant, timely information. They want information. They're starving for information, many of us are in a, in a world filled with it. You know, how do you localize that? How do you make it mean something to your business community in a way that makes a difference? And, and I think that's gonna be in a really important factor coming up as well. And being trusted information. So that's key. Yes. Well, Charlie, this has been a lot of fun having you with me on the podcast today. I'd love to give you an opportunity to share any contact information for listeners who might wanna reach out and connect and maybe learn more about these programs that you talked about, what would be the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? You know, I would love for people just to reach out directly to me. I would love to, to have those conversations with other chambers. I can be reached easily at C. Clark, C-C-L-A-R-K at hiltonheadisland.org. Or you can always go to our website as well, H-H-I, hiltonheadbluftonchamber.org. That's perfect. And I'll get them both in our show notes for this episode so people can find it easily and uh, not have to write while they're driving or anything like that. So, <laughs> but Charlie, this has been great. Uh, you guys are definitely making an impact in your community there and appreciate you spending time with us today. And I wish you and, the, and all of your organization best of luck as Chamber of the Year. Thanks, Brandon. I'll see you in Indy. If you are a Chamber professional, please subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. When you subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast, new episodes will show up in your podcast app each week as they are released. If you're finding value in this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review in iTunes. But most importantly, please share Chamber Chat Podcast with your colleagues that are in the industry. Have you ever thought about creating a podcast for your chamber? We always hear about how chambers need to be storytellers. What better way is there to tell the stories of your members and the work of your chamber than through a podcast? Your audience is waiting to hear from you as a convener of leaders and influencers, champion for business, and catalyst for change within your community. I just launched a chamber podcast course with the goal to get your very own podcast started within 30 days. Visit chamberchatpodcast.com slash pivot to learn more and to enroll in the Chamber Podcast course today.